I just got to share a story with you uh, this morning. Uh, Wednesday night, we have our Wednesday night programs. We have Bible study. We have things that go on, our National Girls Ministry for Girls and the Royal Rangers for the Boys. And we also have um, youth group. And so if you're not part of that, we'd love for you to be uh, part of that and, and take advantage of that. If you have kids or teenagers or adults, you're looking for a good Bible study, we want to invite you to our Wednesday uh, night programs. But this Wednesday night, I was talking to one of the teenagers, a girl I've known since she was pretty much a little girl, and she was talking to me, and she had a, a friend with her that she bought, and this girl that goes to her youth group, family comes, her name is Emily, and the friend that she bought uh, had never, ever been to church, period, never, not on a Christmas or Easter, and this is her first time ever to come to church, and I was just so proud of Emily to, to, to do that and to invite someone and to have the courage to do that, and so we want to encourage you to realize that sometimes, just like we saw in, uh, with the video on inviting somebody uh, this Christmas season to church, sometimes all it takes is an invite. Sometimes that's all you have to do is just say, hey, would you want to come to, to church with me? I never thought about it. We'll come to church. There's this crazy pastor, and uh, he's nuts, and if anything, you'll get a good laugh. Uh, but this is, this is something that um, maybe this time of the year, just pray. That's all I would ask you to do is, is take that invite card. We have more on our, uh, on our Get Connected table out in the narthex. We have more invite cards if you want to take more. But just pray over it. Just say, God, here's my invite card. And I'm just going to pray over this. And you lay on my heart somebody that, that, I, that, that you just want me to invite. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a family member. All through the Christmas season, from today, next Sunday, all the way to Christmas Eve, Sunday, Christmas Eve, all the messages are going to center on Christ and what is the, the meaning and the reason for this time of the year and to explain why Jesus came. So we want to encourage you um, to do that. So just be in prayer about that and, and, and asking someone to come to church with you. Um, we're, we're in a series called uh, Christmas at the Movies. And this time of the year, I know all of us have our favorite uh, Christmas movie. How many of you, you have a favorite Christmas movie? Just raise your hand. You have a favorite Christmas movie. Good. Ten of you. All right. Good. Um, I, I have mine. And uh, so what we're doing is we're going through these um, uh, Christmas shows, Christmas movies, and so many of them are just laced with the message of Christ. And so what I want to do is I want to, I kind of want to take these um, shows these Christmas shows and and be able to uh, dissect them and, and and bring out the message of Christmas, the message of of Christ. Now, when I when I was a kid, uh, back in the seventies, I was born in nineteen sixty six, which makes me thirty nine years old. Is that fuzzy math? Uh, and I remember uh, when I just growing up, we didn't have the VCRs the DVD players, streaming, Netflix. All you had was a TV set that weighed about 800 pounds. And you, you, you had about four channels, maybe five. When I was really little, you had three. You know, we got channel 31. We're like, wow, another channel. UHF, this is awesome, right? And now you have 9,000 channels and there's still nothing to watch on TV. But anyways, it's a, it's a whole other story. And I can remember just waiting for these certain Christmas shows to come on TV. You had to wait. There's this anticipation of waiting for your favorite Christmas show or movie to come on TV. Wasn't that an exciting time? 
yeah, just me. I guess I was the only one that was excited about that. And so um, here was one of those Christmas shows that I loved that I couldn't wait to come on. This was done during the year of the greatest year ever in the history besides Jesus' birth, 1966, when I was born. Um, this, was, this was created. This came out on TV for the first time in 1966. Look up at the screens. I remember that. In one, Mr. Grinch, right? Let me show you a clip. We're going to show you a couple clips from uh, the, how the Grinch stole Christmas. Let me show you the first cl- clip. Let's see what's wrong with Mr. Grinch. Go ahead and look at the screen. That mean Mr. Grinch. I remember watching going, I don't like him, Mom and Dad. He's so mean. What's interesting about how the Grinch stole Christmas is, uh, first of all, the, the voice of Boris Karloff is just amazing. And, and just the storyline is really, really uh, interesting. But the premise is this. I'm going to know. The, the Grinch is this. He lives in a cave high atop a mount overlooking Whoville. And the problem with the Grinch, is, as they said, is his heart was two sizes too small. And, and, the, and the Grinch has this really cute little dog named named Max. I love Max. What a cute little dog, Max. And uh, he doesn't like all the Christmas festivities that surround Whoville. And so what he does is he, he dresses up like Santa and, and Max is a reindeer and he goes down to Whoville and he steals all the presents right down to the last decoration. And he thinks that by stealing all of these things and the presents and the decorations, he's going to steal Christmas and reveal the true heart of the people that live in Whoville. And it's interesting that most Christmas movies have much of the same storyline. There's someone who's greedy or uncaring, and then something happens to change them. And so the, the main message of, of the story or this story is, is really about giving, really about a change of heart. And, and where does that come from? Well, at the heart of the celebration of, of Christmas, it's God giving, we understand this, God giving his only son. That's what Christmas is all about. And what I want to do for you is I want to uh, unveil this, this Old Testament prophecy that was given some 700 years before the birth of Christ. And what the prophet does is he explains who this son would be, who this Messiah would be. And this means everything for you and I today, because what, what the prophet does is methodically go through the names of Jesus and what it would mean for you and I today. 700 years before the birth of Christ, the prophet Isaiah spoke of divine grace that would come in the form of a child to rescue sinners. And I love this passage. This passage is right here up on the, up on our board. Isn't the decoration so nice? Uh, my wife and her, uh, and my wife, my sister, all her sister, Colleen did this. In fact, Colleen did this sign all by freehand, all by freehand. I'm so glad both of them are art history majors. I'm so glad they came in handy. All that money, art history majors. Look at it. It's all right here. It all came to fruition. It's beautiful. So I want to look at Isaiah uh, chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there and read along, or you can follow along up on the screens. And I want to read this for you. Hear what the prophet says about this child. And then what we're going to do is we're going to make it personal. It says, For a child is born to us, 
and a son is given to us and the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called what wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, his government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor, David for all eternity and the passionate commitment of the Lord, the heavenly armies will make this happen exclamation point. Everybody say, amen. So here's, here's the thing. I want you to understand something is that what this prophecy is saying is God is giving us something. God is actually giving us something that we don't deserve. God is actually going to fix our problems. God is going to come into our messiness. He's going to come into our midst and he's going to say, listen, you can't fix your problems. I'm going to bring my son, the savior, who's going to come into the world and he's going to fix all our problems. Isn't the world in a mess? I mean, just turn on the TV. There's so much turmoil and, and, and we're, it's, it's, we're trying to find what is the answer? What is this? The answer is right here. The answer is in this prophecy that was spoken 700 years before the birth of Christ. This is the answer that the world needs today. And he says that Jesus is going to come. There's going to be this figure that will rule. He will rule over the governments and he will be perfect in every way. So as we read this prophecy, this is so important for us to understand because this prophecy is for you and I today. And I want us to make it personal. It's all about God giving to us. God is not the Grinch. God is not stingy. God is not this cosmic killjoy up in heaven wanting to ruin your life and make your life miserable. In fact, God is saying, I want to bless you. I want to give to you. I realize what sin has done. I know all your bad choices that you've made, but I am here to give you something to help you in your life. But the thing that is, we've got to receive it. We've got to want Christ to come in to fix our problems. But we're looking to all the wrong places to find solutions that God says, I have my solution right here in my word. If you would just turn to me and bow your heart to me, I will solve your problems. And so let's look at a couple things here. Let's dissect this passage because I want you to understand that the heart of God is to give. The heart of God is is to give. This is the character of God. The heart of God is to give. This is what amazes me about God, that we deserve nothing, yet God does everything on our part. And, and so what God does for us, he's a God of second chances. And so Isaiah, what he's, let me give you the background here of this first, because really it's pretty sad. Many of the prophets of God would have to speak to the, the backslidden state of Israel. And God has blessed them. God has given them the words, his precepts. And he says, if you follow these things, you will be blessed. But their hearts were hardened towards the Lord. And they turned from God and they worshiped other gods. And they served the gods of the countries around them. And so God would raise up these prophets to speak to their hearts, to say, come back to me. And so Isaiah is speaking to a people who have turned from God and his goodness. And he tells them, if you turn and come to me, he will heal them and forgive them. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever made a mistake? Okay, half of you. So let me just speak to the half of you that have made mistakes in your life, right? What did it feel like when you were forgiven? When you knew you blew it, 
And you had no justification for what you did. Maybe you got angry. Maybe you said something you shouldn't have. Maybe it was just a mistake. You, 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 you blew it. What did it feel like when you were forgiven? What did it? Yeah, relief. What did it feel like when someone gave you grace when you didn't deserve it? What did that, what did that feel like? What did it feel like when someone gave you grace when you didn't, didn't deserve it? You know, maybe, maybe some of you, you, you got pulled over for speeding and uh, the officer comes up and says, what were you doing? I was speeding. I was going over the speed limit. What do we deserve? We deserve a ticket, don't we? Because we know we were speeding and we deserve a ticket. But if that officer says, you know what, I, I'm not going to give you a ticket. Let me see your license registration and I'll let you go. And that happened to me once. And I was like, I got down on my knees. I said, thank you, officer. I love you. Thank you. Praise God to whom all blessings flow. And it was wonderful. And th- there's this sense of grace that was given to us when we didn't deserve it. Listen, the only way you're going to understand God in a relationship with Jesus is to understand that his grace is given to us, even though we don't deserve it. We are actually objects of God's wrath, but God through his mercy and his grace gives to us, gives to us something none of us deserve. There's no one in this room that's perfect in this place. There's no one in this room that deserves the grace of God, but yet God through his love demonstrates this towards us by sending his son Jesus to us. He gives, he gives, he gives, he gives, he gives, even though we don't deserve it. So what was the problem with the Grinch? Well, the the problem with the Grinch was his heart. And what the Grinch didn't realize is that stealing all the presents wouldn't deter the, the town of Whoville from celebrating because it wasn't about the presents. And so on Christmas morning, the Grinch thought that he would hear the crying and, and, and people arguing and so upset because all the gifts are gone and the decorations are gone. But, but what he hears instead is singing. He can't believe it. He hears singing instead of complaining. How many times can we go through this Christmas season We can come to church, hear the wonderful carols, but then we catch ourselves doing what? Complaining because the lines are too long or the thing that I wanted wasn't there or people are rude in the stores, right? And we we catch ourselves complaining instead of singing and rejoicing for what God has given us through his son. Can I get an amen? Because we're all in that boat, right? Let's Let's all be honest with ourselves this morning. And so what happens is he's angry, he didn't like what was going on in Whoville. He thought taking their gifts would, would show their true colors and, and that could stop Christmas from coming. But something changed in the Grinch's heart when he saw this because he saw them singing. There was something more. It wasn't about taking away their gifts. They were giving instead of complaining. So I want you to look at this. Look at the screens. I'll show you this next clip of the Grinch. So here, here you have something changes uh, within the Grinch. So we see that he's, you know, he's got all the ornaments on top of the mount. He's, he's got all the presents. He hears the singing and something changes. He can't stop Christmas from coming. And so what we understand about the Grinch is that he has 
a heart change. And though, so what he does is he brings all the presence back. And so he begins to understand what giving is all about. And that's what I want to do. I want to dive into Isaiah's prophecy because the prophecy tells us exactly who this child is, that God gives us something that we don't deserve, that he's come to us to change our hearts to, to, to allow God to rest within each and every one of us to come into our lives. And so what does each one of Jesus' names, what does it mean to us? And I want to look at each one of these names in the, in the, in the prophecy of Isaiah here in Isaiah chapter 9. And I just want us to realize that Jesus gives us his very life, gives us everything we've been looking for. And I, I want to notice five things here that we are given in the person of Jesus. And, and, and I want you to notice that the things that are given to us in the person of Jesus are meant to do something very specific within our life. And I wanted to make this personal, um, not just some names that were given to Jesus, but this describes his character and actually what he does for us and how it changes our lives. So the first thing that we see what God does for us is he actually gives us a son. Now, this is so important that we understand that God gives us his son. The first thing we see about the Savior is that he's going to be a son. He's going to be born as a baby. He's going to be a boy. It's going to come into this world. Isn't it amazing how specific this prophecy is? That's what I love about the word of God. The prophecies are specific telling us exactly where he's going to be born in Bethlehem, what he's going to do, who he is, the name that is going to be given to him. That's what I love about prophecy. It's not vague. It's very, very specific. And we see that all these prophecies are fulfilled in the person of Jesus, that he is the Messiah. And so we see that he is a son. John three sixteen. we know well, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only what? Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have what? everlasting life. See, God comes as a man, fully God and fully man. He comes into our world as a baby. The incarnate God comes in as flesh to actually live among us. I love the name that's given him. Matthew 123 talks about what this child would be. And, and the angel Gabriel speaks to Joseph and he says, this is what you are to call him. He said, look, the virgin will conceive a child and she will give birth to a son and they will call him what? Emmanuel, which means God is with us. This is his messianic title that God is actually going to dwell with us in the flesh. So what does this mean for you and I? I want you to understand that we can actually know a personal God, that he understands us. He understands all our hurt, all our pain, and all our disappointments. This is, a, this is not some far off God that, that can't relate to you. Jesus can relate to you. Right where, you're, right where you are today, he can relate to all your circumstances, all your pain, and all your disappointments. So what does God give us through his son? Well, here's what he gives us. Here's what I want you to realize. These are the things that you need in your life. See, the problem is we look to other things to fulfill our lives. We think, well, this is going to make my life better. If this just changed and more income or this or that. And for some reason, it just never really changes us. It may be a temporary fix, a temporary patch, but it doesn't fix us. God says, this is how you are going to be fixed. And all of us are broken and we need to be fixed. We need to be fixed. 
We need help. And so this is what God says. This is what he calls his son. First, he says, this is what he's going to be. I want to make it personable. Uh, First of all, Jesus is a wonderful counselor. And the word wonderful there is this incomprehensible. It's like, it's beyond, it's a wonder. It literally means full of wonder, that the son will be full of wonder. The word is weightier than the common use of it. Now, the only way I can explain wonder or being full of wonder or something that's incomprehensible, the only way I can explain this, and for some of you that have experienced this, you get it. For those, have you ever had somebody come to you and say, have you ever been to blah, blah, and you've never been there? And you're like, you can't, you, you can't. Oh, I've been to Hawaii and it's just wonderful. I mean, the dew is sweet. You just go like this with your tongue and the dew is sweet in Hawaii. Everything is just perfect in Hawaii. And you're like, I go, well, that's good. I, I, I don't know what I, I can't experience. I don't know. But for you, it's like this wonder because you've experienced it. The only thing close that I can experience to wonder is when I went to the Grand Canyon. I literally started crying. I was like, it's fake. This is like a big fake scenery. This can't be real. It was just this spance of of this canyon that went across 10 miles. And I'm, you know, we're just standing there and I'm just like, I could just be here forever. Just looking at this expanse. We were there five minutes and our kids were like, okay, let's go. That's nice. Right. But for me, it was just wonderful. for you that have been to the grand Canyon. You get it. You're like, that's a wonder. It's just incomprehensible. It's hard to explain. Do you hear what I'm saying? Is it hard to explain to someone when you've experienced something wonderful that you haven't experienced yourself? And see, this is what God says. Every single one of us can experience the wonder of Christ. Amen. He he didn't do it for a select few so that you couldn't understand. He says, listen, I'm giving you my son that every single one of you can experience his wonder. And not only is Jesus wonderful, but he's our counselor. And this is what a counselor does. A good counselor is one that comes beside you and gives you wise counsel. Jesus is a perfect counselor who comes beside us, who will never lead us astray. We can trust him. He knows what we are going through. I love this passage in the book of Hebrews because it explains Jesus as this high priest. And what the high priest did in the Old Testament, he was kind of the mediator. He would stand between the people and God. And he would offer up the sins of the people to God, not only his own sins, but the people of the people's sins unto God. So there can be an atonement for their sin. He was kind of the, the go between and, and he would offer the sacrifices. Uh, once a year, he would go into the Holy of Holies in the temples on the day of atonement and offer up a sacrifice for the people's sins. So that sins could be covered for that temporary moment. But the Hebrew writer says, we have a counselor. We have a mediator who has not only gone through the temple, which is just temporary, but has actually gone through heaven that made a once and for all sacrifice for you and I. He's this perfect counselor that understands everything that you're going through. He's this perfect high priest that you can go to, to find forgiveness of your sins. Hebrews four fifteen and 16 says this, He talks about Jesus that this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same testings, temptations we do yet did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. And there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us 
when we need it the most. That's the counsel that we have, that he's never going to leave us or forsake us. Our counselor, Jesus, listens to us and he cares for us. He's that wonderful counselor that is given to us to meet our needs. The third thing I want you to see there is that he says that he's a mighty God. He's a mighty God. Um, when I was in college, I, I had an opportunity for a couple of years to um, work at a church to be their children's pastor. I called it the church and the orange groves. I went to school in uh, Lakeland, Florida. This church was in Plant City, a little bit further away from our campus, but I would drive there every Sunday to work with their kids. The church had about 10 people in the church and five of them were kids. And so it was this really small church, but uh, I, I loved doing it. The pastor was a great guy. And um, I remember teaching the kids different songs. And there's this one song that the kids loved the most. And we would have to sing it every single week. And it was talking about God being a mighty God. And basically it just, it, it was a simple song. It says, my God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. And then I would add something and then I would go, oh. So I'd have all the kids do it. You guys ready? And they would, they, they would say, Pastor Brian, Pastor Brian, let's sing My God is so mighty. And you know what? That's a simple song, but it's true. That our God is so mighty. He's big. And there's nothing our God cannot do. Oh. There's nothing. Do you realize this morning that God is bigger than your problems? I think we tend to forget. We get so immersed in our problems and our difficulties that we forget that we serve a mighty God that has conquered this world for you and I. And Jesus said, listen, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in me, right? Jesus understood that he's going to conquer this world that he's overcome this world for you and I. So we serve a mighty God. I don't know what you're faced with today. I don't know if it's financial things, whatever it might be. But I want you to understand this morning that God gives us a mighty God and his son, and he wants you to come to him. And God is bigger than your problems. Have you handed those things over to God? And do you believe that God is mighty to save? Do you believe it? Because he is, but we have to trust him. And he gives this to us in his son that he is a mighty God that's bigger than our problems. The fourth thing we see there that Isaiah says that Jesus is our everlasting father. I love this. We sang good, good father this morning. I love that, that song. And the meaning of father in this passage is one of a benevolent protector. That God is a benevolent protector. He will take care of us. He will watch over us for uh, forever. And, 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 I want you to realize what is the thing, think about your life. What is the thing that is just pressing in on me right now? What is the thing that I just feel like I am under the, I'm in a pressure cooker right now. And this thing has just got me in its vice. It's got me in its grip. And I want you to realize that a benevolent father wants you to come to him to lay that thing at his feet. He's a good father that doesn't withhold any good gift from his children. You know, I think of God, it describes God in the New Testament as this Abba father. This Abba father 
literally is just a very intimate term, a, a very close term. It, what Abba Father literally means is this is, is my dad's bigger than your dad. My dad's stronger than your dad. Remember as a kid, you're like, yeah, my dad, yeah, he's big. He's strong. You can out arm wrestle your dad, right? Here's what it means. It means we can jump in his lap and he cares for us. He's that benevolent protector that we can lay anything at his feet. What thing is pressuring you today? God says, listen, I'm that benevolent protector. Lay that thing at my feet. And the last thing I want you to see here, and this is what I love. I just want to camp out here for just a second is that he calls him a prince of peace. Calls Jesus the prince of peace. So what Jesus does for us is he actually brings peace between us and God. Jesus brings spiritual harmony between us and God. We were alienated from God because of our sin. Jesus comes to bridge the gap between us and God. Isn't that wonderful that we are now friends with God because the anger of God and his wrath that was poured out on our sin was poured out upon Jesus Christ so that now Jesus became the object of God's wrath because of our sin. Jesus paid the penalty of our sin. So now through Christ Jesus, we find peace with God because Jesus paid the penalty for our sin through his very own life. And he brings us peace. When we're at peace with God, it doesn't matter what is going on in this world. I know that my heart is still before God because I am right before God, not because of me, but because of what Jesus has done in me. Somebody say amen. Here's what I love about the end of the Grinch movie. I never saw this before, but this ending screams the gospel message and what Jesus Christ does for you and I. I love this. Watch the end of the movie. I love about the ending of the Grinch. And we can stop it there. We can stop it there. We can stop it there. Here's what I love. Here's what I love about the end of the Grinch. And here's something that I realized through the power of the gospel message. Notice what the Grinch, notice where he was. Where was he? He was at the banquet. He was at the Christmas banquet. Did the Grinch deserve to sit at the head of the table? Everybody better say no. He's the Grinch. He stole everything. In fact, he should have been in the Whoville jail. Paying time for what he did. But the Grinch was offered grace. Not only grace to say, okay, you're forgiven. Now go back up into your smelly cave and don't have anything else to do with us. No, he was invited to sit at the banquet table. That's exactly what Jesus Christ does for us. Not only does he come into our life and gives us peace between God, not only does he forgive us of our sin, but now he invites us to come to the table with him and lets us sit at the head of the table to carve the roasted beef or the roasted beast, whatever they call. Isn't that amazing? That's what, somebody say amen, nine o'clock crowd. Listen, this is what he does for us. 
this is what we miss about our lives. And this is why we're so stingy with our grace to other people. Because once someone offs me, look out. And God says, you offended me. But yet I've shown you my grace through my son. I've given you him. And not only am I going to forgive you, but for those that come to me and find forgiveness through repentance, I'm going to allow you to sit at the table. I'm going to give you the head seat. I'm going to let you carve the ham. I'm going to show you grace. What happened to the Grinch now was this. He was invited into the community. The one who was separated high up on the hill, far away from those in Whoville, far away, is now invited into the community, the family of Whoville. And what God says to us is you were estranged from me, but now I invite you into the family. Bring all your mess. Bring it all, right? Let me heal it. Let me give you my grace. And now let me invite you into the family of God. God says, I want to welcome you into my kingdom, into my family. This is what Jesus Christ has done for you. You see, the banquet is a picture here. Because there's a picture for us in Revelation at the end of the Bible, in Revelation 19, where John describes this marriage supper of the Lamb, where we all get to sit around the table with Jesus. Now, as I close, let me just let me just explain something here. Because what we see in the Grinch here is that he's sitting at the banquet, he's sitting at the table, he's invited to sit there through the grace of those who offered grace to him. And what we see is we see this picture in the last days, in the last times, that Jesus says, I want to invite you to this marriage supper line where I'm going to invite you to sit with me. Now, in the first century, there's, there's three things that happen in a wedding. The first thing that happened is there's this, there's this time, there's this engagement period, betrothal. And what the, what the groom would do is he'd go to the bride's wife, his future bride, and he'd say, listen, I want to marry your bride. And he would give a dowry to that. And so they were betrothed. And, and so we, we could see this period of Mary and Joseph. And we know that uh, she was a virgin when she, when she gave birth to, to Jesus. And there was this betrothal period of those two. The second thing in the wedding thing was that about a year later, the groom would come with his groomsmen and they would come at midnight. In fact, there's a parable about that in the 10 virgins in the New Testament. And they would come at midnight and they would have torches and they would come to get his bride. I think that's a pretty cool tradition. I think we need to start that up again. Can you imagine walking down your street with torches? Where's my bride? Come on, right? And they're walking down, and he's got all his groomsmen. They're walking, and they come to her house, and they take her back to, and she's ready. She's prepared, and she's waiting because she knows he's coming. And so he comes, and he gets her, and he takes her back to the groom's house. And from there, they have a huge banquet. And this banquet would last for days. They party for days, celebrating what God had brought together. You see, Jesus, through this betrothal time, Jesus purchases us. He buys us. He purchases us through his precious blood. 
And then we know that one day Jesus says in John 14, I'm going to come back to get you. And I'm going to take you where I am. And so Jesus comes like the second step of the marriage. He comes and he gets us and he takes us to be with him. But the third thing we can see in, in the book of Revelation, the third thing is this banquet where Jesus says, I invite you to sit at the table with me because you are mine. You're part of my family. Here, here's, here's how I want you to look at this Christmas season. Is that this is what God does for us. God's grace gives us everything we need through his son, even though we didn't deserve it. God gives us everything we need. This is what I want you to realize. If God has forgiven you, if God's grace has been bestowed upon you, it can't stop with you. And so what, what God says is, are you going to be a vessel where I'm going to allow my blessings to stop with you? Or am I going to allow, are you going to allow me to work through you to be a blessing that will flow through your life? And this is, this is the action point I want to do. This is a takeaway. Here's the takeaway. God gives to us that in return, we can bless someone else. And uh, this is what I want you to do this week. I want you to think about who can I bless this week? Who can I bless? Maybe it's writing a note, a letter, email, text, maybe getting a little gift for somebody that you just appreciate. Who are you going to bless this week? And here's what I want you to do. Don't allow this time of the year to rob the song that's in your heart for what Christ has done for you. Don't allow it to rob. Get a fresh perspective of what God has given us. What has he given us? He's given us the Son, the wonderful counselor, the almighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This is what he's given to us. Have you received that in your heart? And maybe you haven't, and you can. Jesus has come to me. I will no wise cast out anyone who comes to me. But I don't want it to stop there. Maybe there's reconciliation that needs to happen in your relationships. God wants to use you to work on that, to be the vessel that he can work through to work on those broken relationships. That's why Jesus came to solve the broken relationship that we had with God. That's the heart of the gospel message. The heart of the Grinch was a broken relationship was restored. The heart of the gospel message is God, through his wonderful son, came to restore a broken relationship. So if things are broken in your life, that's not good. God says, let me restore them. That's the heart of the gospel message. So allow Christ through his power and his presence, use you to be a blessing to someone else and to use you to restore broken relationships. That's the heart of the gospel message. Amen. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you today. And let's just, I want you just to, as we just bow our hearts, let's bow our hearts at this time. Let's bow your hearts. Let's close our eyes. And let's just think, God, is, is there something broken in my life? Then we need you to fix it. And then I want you to think about, Lord, who can I be a blessing to this week? Allow your love and your grace that has 
so healed my life. Allow me to be a blessing to someone else this week and allow God to lay that on your heart this week. Lord, we just come before you and we are broken vessels. We thank you that, Jesus, you've come to restore and to heal and and to give us so much more than we could ever ask for. So I pray right now for your people that we would respond and be open to your calling in our hearts and our lives to realize what a son Jesus really is. That he is that wonderful counselor, that mighty God, that everlasting father, that prince of peace. Lord, fill our hearts today with wonder again. Restore that wonder of who Jesus is in our lives again and then let it flow from our hearts and our lives to those that are all around us that so desperately need to hear of the Savior's love. So as we go in your presence today, may we go with that sense of wonder and we thank you for your word. Thank you for restoring us and making us new and allowing us to sit at your table. You're so good, Jesus. Thank you for your grace and your mercy, we pray, and your beautiful name, and your wonderful name. And everybody said, amen. Let's thank the Lord for his word today. He is good today. Amen. Guarantee you will never watch How the Grinch Stole Christmas again in the same way. That's my hope for you today. Listen, if you need prayer, our prayer partners will be up here. Otherwise, Merry Christmas. God bless you. Go in God's grace. Have a wonderful day.